You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White on the Revelations Radio Network. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to Nowhere to Run. My name is Chris. Thank you for downloading this episode. If you have any questions for me, they are more important than ever as the new format pretty much relies on your questions. So uh, if you have any, don't hesitate to write. You can do so at any of the websites. Nowhere to Run Radio, Ancient Aliens Debunked, Stop Sleep Paralysis. Just hit the contact button and they will all go to the same place that is my inbox. And I will try my best to answer them on the air if they are relevant to things that other people can benefit from as well. Took a week off last week and had a great time in Seattle. I attended the wedding of Tim Kilkenny. Tim, uh, many of you may know from the Revelations Radio news program on the Revelations Radio Network. Him and Andrew Hoffman do that show and had the privilege to go up there and even be a part of the wedding. So it was it was great. Uh, a good time of fellowship too. I uh, got to hang out with Mike Tater, a.k.a. Tom Bionic, who I hadn't seen in a few months as well as Paul Babb from Austin. Some of you may know him. Uh, shout out to Paul there in Austin. And I really had a great time, a really great spiritual renewal. But it was just a wonderful and beautiful wedding. Had a great time. And I want to congratulate Tim and his new wife on their betrothal. And I encourage you to do the same if you know Tim. Okay, so let's jump right in. I've got a few show notes before we get started. First one about the sleep paralysis ministry. This is something I posted on Facebook, but I wanted to extend the invitation here on the podcast in case anybody was interested. Uh, I've got a few responses, but I wanted to make sure I I gave the invitation on air as well. So let me just read what I put, put on Facebook. It says, I'm looking to hire someone to help with the sleep paralysis ministry. I would essentially teach you everything I know about sleep paralysis, so it's not necessary that you are already knowledgeable about it. One project would be helping to write the upcoming book as a co-author. So there's a need for you to have excellent writing skills, as well as a basic knowledge of programs like Microsoft Word and Excel. A working knowledge of posting blogs with WordPress would be a bonus, but it's not necessary. There would be an option, if you're interested, to have this be an ongoing ministry for you as the head of the entire sleep paralysis ministry, which is one of the more fruitful aspects of what we do. In other words, this would be an excellent opportunity for someone to make a real impact for the Lord and see many people saved. Compensation would be based on a number of factors, including how much time you would have to devote to it and your abilities. If you're interested, please send me an email describing why you think you would be a good fit for this project to nowhere to run 1984 at gmail.com. And you can send that to any email address, but preferably not Facebook. I have a hard time getting two messages on Facebook. Okay, so really the main thing I'm looking for off the bat is somebody that can write, um, that has some examples of them being able to write. Essentially what I'm going to probably do is sit down with you either, uh, depending on our schedules, one-on-one or you know through a series of audio uh, responses and basically go through every aspect, every chapter. I've got the entire sleep paralysis book outlined and what needs to be said, but I'm going to go through, uh, you know, long audios for each chapter and 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 basically teach you about sleep paralysis and what we've been doing with it and all the stuff about that and then have you essentially convert that into chapters of a book so you'd have to be somewhat knowledgeable about that kind of stuff formatting and and you know how to write basically not just the technical stuff but have some sense of of how things um you know um, some you know quality writing too it's not terribly important that you're like professional or anything but some but you need to have some kind of skill there um and then 
as I said, it's sort of optional, but what I really like is that you would want to sort of continually be a part of this project for as long as you want to, uh, to really help with a lot of the emails that are there and that will be a cer certainly generated as we, uh, this is going to be a project that's going to put a lot of promotion into, so there's going to try to get on a lot of the big shows and stuff like that, so there's going to be a lot of people writing in and want to really make sure that you're up for doing the ministry that's going to result from this, and there's going to be a lot of ministry that will result from it. So, um, so yeah, I'm really looking for a right-hand man or woman here for the Sleep Paralysis Project, and that can really kind of head up that whole idea, that whole ministry, but, but, but the first thing here is to sort of co-author this book, and that really uh, means that you're essentially doing a lot of the, the, the writing of the book. Um, the content-wise, I'll essentially be giving you everything uh, chapter by chapter as I've had that already outlined for some time. So, uh, And there will also be some some work with Excel because a lot of the data uh, in the Excel spreadsheet is sort of still uh, in its raw form, so we'll need to dig out some specific stuff like that. But we'll work all that stuff out. So, yeah, just send me an email about why you think you'd be a good fit for this ministry and this project, and I'll try to make a decision in the next week or so. Again, you can send that to nowhere to run 1984 at gmail.com or really through any of the contact forms on any of the websites. So, Okay, a few more technical show notes. I decided to slightly alter the plan that I had discussed uh, the last podcast in the last podcast, which was that I was going to try to do a podcast every other week and on that alternate week put out a video. Slight change in that, I'm going to now try to do a podcast every week, uh, rain or shine, on Friday or Thursday or whenever I can. Um, and instead of doing instead of doing a video on a schedule, because I found that I really am taking too long with videos, it's just not possible for me to do the research, write the script, do the video editing all in, in one week. It's just, especially these days, I'm trying to do it a little bit higher quality, and that's just not possible. I'm finding that I'm, you know, lucky if I get if I'm really moving, if I'm spending an hour for three or four minutes of video, so it's, uh, it's and even what I'm working on right now, a, a trailer that's no more than two uh, minutes long, has taken me, I think I worked all day yesterday, or half the day anyway, um, and I got 30 seconds done, so kind of goes to show you the progress that I'm making with this, but anyhow, uh, so what I'm going to do is instead of trying to do the huge, big, epic movie that I wanted to produce to explain the sort of theory uh, that I have, I think I'm going to put that out in segments. And it's going to be a series on YouTube. No particular time frame. It's going to be a priority for me, so it should be relatively quickly. Uh, but I'm going to put it out piece by piece in really well done videos, uh, no more than 15 minutes or so long. And then instead of like, hey everybody, trust me, this is going to be cool, I'll put it out, just wait a year it'll be, hey, I'm going to, over the next course of the year, I'm going to be putting out this series. So I think that'll be better, and then that'll also allow me to continue to do podcasts continually as well. And I think that it'll also be kind of good because it'll tie into the next project that I want to talk about and update you on, which is the Mystery Babylon book, which should be out by the end of the month. I decided I wanted to wait until the paperback was ready as well, uh, they are now sending me the proof for the paperback, so I just need to sort of get that, look at it, and tell them it's okay, and that should be ready as well. So I want to wait till both of those are ready, and I also want to wait till I have this uh, trailer done. 
which is going to be awesome. It's just going to be so cool. And my again, my goal here is to try to get onto a lot of the podcasts out there and to begin to talk about this uh, this particular theory. But the theory allows for a lot of really tough questions that allow me to sort of um, talk about some prophecy issues that are heavy on my heart. So I'm excited about that as a as a goal here to get out and to talk to a lot of the people in the prophecy world. So if you have a podcast, I'd love to to go on that show. I want to begin to now start to do a lot of the media contact stuff. So if you're listening and you have a podcast, uh, I'd be happy to appear on it and talk about the uh, book. If you'd like an advanced copy, just email me and I'll send you a Kindle version. Um, and let me go ahead and play just a few seconds. I'll play you the 30 seconds of the of the trailer that I have already done. It's about again, it's about a two minute trailer, uh, and I think you'll really think it's it's neat for one particular reason. So let me play that, and I'll talk to you in a second. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city, which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Revelation 17:18. Which city is this that reigns over all the kings of the earth? Rome. New York, Mecca. There are over 90 characteristics given in the book of Revelation about the city of Mystery Babylon, and none of these three cities meets all of the criteria. But there is one city that does, or should I say, will. So yeah, he goes on for about a minute and a half more. And I am excited for you all to see the trailer. I think the video part of it is going to be really, really high quality. It was something that I, I was surprised as I'm putting all this together of how cheaply this is to do. I mean, to 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 hire the voice actor and to hire, get the, the music and everything else like that. Um, this is stuff that like used to be so expensive and used to be pretty much impossible for people, independent people to do. Um, one of the main reasons, kind of like when I was in the band, I mean, one of the only reasons you'd want to sign a record contract was because the record companies had, you know, distribution and they had the ability to market you and do all the stuff. It's kind of the same situation with publishers. I mean, you can do all the stuff that publishers, if you can do the marketing and you can do, you know, this kind of stuff, there is very little reason to sign with a publisher. But uh, nevertheless, uh, my point is, that it was all done really cheaply, and I think it's going to be exceedingly professional looking. So, uh, again, the reason I want it to be professional is because I, I feel like this is a massive uh, giant to slay, a massive mountain to climb, that is to uh, be able to talk uh, about stuff that's just on my heart, about Bible prophecy, stuff that is, this is kind of like one of my last things that I really, really need to do, uh, and it just happens to be one of the more difficult ones, though. I think I've talked at length about that before, so I will forego any diatribe about it. So a few more things that are not technical related, just sort of things that I think would be helpful for people out there before I get into the actual show. First, this idea of uh, leaky gut. I've talked about it a lot. Leaky gut is something that uh, I believe a lot of people have. In fact, I think it's like every other woman I talk to, and I'm sure a lot of men too. I, I mean, in fact, I know, I mean, um, the only thing is that men tend not to produce as, uh, the symptoms as, as obviously as women do, but certainly the women that I, I have talked to do. And it's basically a porous gut line where everything that you eat goes into your bloodstream. And doctors, uh, because there's no test for it, uh, like there is with celiac, um, you know, doctors really, it's not, and certainly they don't, they're not trained nutritionists, as Paul Babb would say. Uh, 
And so they are not really looking for it and instead misdiagnosing this as a host of things because this is causing a host of problems. Um, so people are getting medicated for something that is, is so not the right diagnosis. But anyway, um, let me just read quickly about, just in case you're wondering about leaky gut, I'm going to read some of the things. This is from uh, uh, a really brief, this is the reason I linked it, it's kind of a brief description of leaky gut. Leaky gut can be a difficult diagnosis to establish for a number of reasons. It's associated with a wide range of seemingly unconnected symptoms. It has a lot of different causes. There's no specific test to confirm it, and evidence trying to... Uh, Trying it to tying it to other conditions can be murky. As a result, there's a fair amount of skepticism in the mainstream medical community about the legitimacy of leaky gut as a diagnosis. But as the evidence that is indeed a but as the evidence that this is an indeed a real recognizable condition grows, opinions are slowly changing. That's a good thing because leaky gut is likely to emerge as one of the most significant medical concepts of our time. How leaky gut affects you. Our digestive lining serves as an important barrier function. It's like a net with very, with very small holes that allows only certain substances that are small enough to, to go through, while keeping out the larger undesirable particles. With leaky gut, also known as increased intestinal permeability, the net becomes damaged, resulting in bigger holes that allow more things to pass through that ordinarily couldn't. The barrier function becomes compromised so that bacteria, viruses, undigested food particles and toxic waste products can leak from inside of your intestines through the damaged digestive lining into your bloodstream where they're transported through your body and can trigger your immune system to react the end result is inflammation in various parts of your body leading to a wide variety of symptoms like bloating cramps fatigue food sensitivities flushing acne joints headache and headaches and rashes with leaky gut, not only is the digestive lining more porous and less selective about what can get in, but normal absorption can be affected. Nutritional deficiencies may develop as a result of the damage to the villi, the finger-like projections in the small intestine that are responsible for absorbing nutrients. Multiple food sensitivities are another hallmark of leaky gut because partially digested particles of protein and fat may leak through the intestinal wall into the bloodstream and cause an, an allergic response. Increased intestinal, intestinal permeability may potentially cause or worsen a number of other conditions, like including celiac disease, inflammatory bowel disease, IBD, which includes Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, uh, irritable bowel syndrome, IBS, arthri arthritis, psoriasis, uh, eczema and asthma and he goes on there's a three-page thing here but that's a pretty good summary of this and so yeah as this stuff gets into your bloodstream you're developing allergies to it that's why for example my wife is allergic to a lot of different things including wheat um, but but she does not test positive for celiac disease which you know people think so people call it gluten sensitivity and different things like that so uh, but but I'm telling you she can't hardly eat anything that has anything uh, that she's now allergic to or anything that has like pesticides and stuff in it or she immediately reacts to it because it goes into her bloodstream a lot and a lot of triggers for her including you know things like clearing throat uh, after eating or during eating and you know that kind of stuff but there's also a lot of intestinal stuff and a lot of stuff that can that can happen as a result of um, uh, the sensitivities but one of the other things that I think doctors are missing a ton of is because of as I said their malabsorption she's not uh, absorbing vitamins from food as that she normally would because of the damage to the gut linings because that's where 70% of your vitamins are absorbed through this particular lining. So as a result, 
uh, when we when we first figured out what was going on, we put all the pieces together, and we we found this. We had her tested, her blood tested. In fact, I think maybe testing the blood was how we eventually came to this conclusion, and we realized that she was severely deficient in things like B12 and other vitamins. And as a result, I mean, she was suffering from classic, for example, B12. Uh, deficiency. Your your body actually has a big reserve of B12, like sort of an emergency reserve from B12, and she was completely out of that, you know, resulting in consistent nausea and, me- and headaches and other things that are not necessarily leaky gut related, they're malabsorption related. Okay, so one of the reasons I'm bringing this up again is because of these three studies that I saw referenced in this uh, blog post at glutendoctors.blogspot.com called Gluten Sensitivity and Infertility. In this blog post, they referenced three medical journal uh, studies, or studies in medical journals, uh, some as recent as 2010, that showed that there were, that of they took women that had multiple miscarriages um, and were unable to bring a child to term, and found that when they went on a gluten-free diet, these, that, that, that actually uh, made them statistically indistinguishable from controls. That's a sort of medical speak to say that it basically stopped the problem. I mean, at least that their percentages of having a miscarriages were statistically the exact same as uh, a normal person after that. In other words, this is a huge, huge breakthrough. These three studies that, that concluded not even kind of wishy-washy sort of caveats and all that stuff, they concluded that women that had multiple miscarriages um, were essentially able to bring child children to term once they went on a gluten-free uh, diet. Now, I would also submit that this probably, as we talk about malabsorption, this this also would include a, a vit- vitamin regimen, especially if this is if, if leaky gut is what you're experiencing, because you can have gluten sensitivity and not be celiac. The, this study often references celiac disease, um, but it also references leaky gut and things like that. So it's it's important to remember that it's not just a gluten-free diet. But I would also uh, recommend going on a sugar-free diet um, as well, as what we have discovered with leaky gut is that sugar and gluten are essentially the same thing. And so I would encourage if anybody is interested in this, I know it can be kind of a hard thing to hear uh, to, to know that there, that if you're having or had multiple miscarriages in the past, this could be one of many uh, possibilities. And I, I'm mentioning it, even though it's hard and I, to, to hear, for the potential good that it can do, and kind of banking on that this may be, might be something that somebody out there needs to hear right now. So that's sort of what I am doing with this. But if you're interested in trying to fix leaky gut, there's a good post on my uh, wall. He basically says something, something simple. He says, interesting article, Chris. For those who uh, like action points to promote healing, first, pray for God's healing. Then, number one, remove the offending allergen. Two, intermittent fasting, three, a good probiotic, four, L-glutamine, five, fish oil, and a good multivitamin mineral supplement will help here as well. Now, that's pretty simplified, but it gets most of the points. You've got to go on the diet. Uh, The probiotics that you will need, um, eventually you've got a bad flora and fauna situation going on in the gut. And and a lot of times I think people have this because of um, uh, candida, yeast. Yeast actually is the thing that causes the porous gut lining in most cases. And overgrowth of yeast is very pr- uh, prevalent, especially in an American diet, because of we are just eating a lot of yeast. Um, but it's not always that. Sometimes it can actually be, and I think partially the reason that 
all of us seem to have this all of a sudden is because of the antibiotics in a lot of the meats. Um, sometimes people can get a porous gut lining when they uh, when they are on a lot of antibiotics for a time that can actually cause this as well. And I think that perhaps the antibiotics in meats are playing a factor in this in addition to the yeast overgrowth. But for most people, I would say you got to get on some kind of natural yeast thing in addition to the diet at first. There's going to have to be a yeast die-off. It's not simply, it is good to go on a, a gluten-free diet and a sugar-free diet. you got to go on sugar-free too if you've got yeast because that's what's feeding the yeast. It's, it's breads turn into sugars. And a lot of the, the starches, not all starches, I mean, you can eat potatoes and you can eat brown rice and, you know, chips and that kind of stuff. You can have a lot of stuff on this, but you just can't have anything with sugar. And you can't have, and the diet I'm, I'm kind of recommending is if you go on it, look for candida diets, this kind of thing. They're pretty restrictive diets, but you need to go on one of those in addition to getting some kind of uh, yeast, uh, we call, what we use is yeast assassin, but there's other sort of natural sort of uh, things that get rid of the yeast. Once that's taken care of, you can begin a, a probiotic, um, which basically helps to get the good bacteria back in your gut lining. And you got to stay on the diet for that. And then you've got, as he mentions, L-glutamine. That's sort of the thing that is going to fill up the holes, get everything back to normal. And, of course, you've got to be getting multivitamins and minerals because a really good natural multivitamin and minerals. And this will change your life. Uh, for my wife, she spent her whole life thinking that she was just always going to be hurting always having these medical problems. She was just a walking mess with all kinds of stuff. It had built up to where she was experiencing just so much stuff, not just body aches and stuff like that, but a consistent you know, brain fog and all kinds of stuff that was, that was just there. But when she is on this and you know, getting the vitamins and everything, it's just all cleared up and you know, consistent stomach problems. I could go down a list that would just uh, blow your mind. But I w would imagine because this, this manifests in a lot of different ways that a lot of you out there may be experiencing something that is extremely simple to fix. And I would encourage you that you got to do it soon because it will, this will ultimately result in an autoimmune disorder. One of many autoimmune disorders that are out there nowadays. And the reason is, is because their immune system is getting greatly taxed it's it's overworking imagine if you were immune system ready usually you get some kind of you know toxin or particle that's already been filtered through you know the kidneys or liver or whatever it is that filters all that stuff and now you're dealing with a filtered sort of toxin or or allergen and you're the immune system dealing with it but in this case your immune system is having to deal with raw pesticides and food particles and stuff that gets into your bloodstream and it's just overworked and eventually it just sort of gives up is the way that I look at it anyway. It's probably not medically accurate. And it causes an autoimmune disorder. Even if you have an autoimmune disorder, it's not like, oh, now you're toast. It's not that either. I mean, this is the same regimen you need to do too. Uh, and you're going to find this is like this idea of no sugar, no uh, wheat, and all of a sudden sort of figuring out what the allergens are. It's, it's a, I want to give you hope is hopefully the reason I'm uh, doing this, is to give you hope out there that, that there is light at the end of this tunnel. And it's not even that bad. And... One of the things you'll also find is that you're also all the drugs that the doctors give you when you go to the doctor are causing a ton of side effects. And re the reason you get the most side effects of every drug that you're given is because you don't pass it through the normal channels. It's going straight to your bloodstream. And so your blood, or a lot of it anyway, and that is therefore causing all the problems that, you know, when you read about the side effects, 
those are usually the side effects that you're going to get. Okay, so that's that. The other the other brief thing I was going to mention was um, my wife went on a retreat recently. Saw some videos that were really really good, um, and I wanted to recommend them for any women out there. Uh, it's TrueBeautyFilms.com, and it is Francis Chan's wife, Lisa Chan. Really, really, really good video series. She's got a number of them out there. Um, I'll just name briefly the three different uh, video series, and they're extremely cheap. You can download them. You can order them on a DVD. One is called uh, uh, Not of This World. One's called Deny Yourself, and one is called Be Still, and they are part of a series called True Beauty, and it is an excellent, excellent video series that she got a lot out of. I just wanted to recommend that to anybody as well. Okay, let's move on to the questions. Let's go to question number one. This question is sort of an amalgamation of several questions that have to do with productivity. So I'm going to package them all in one giant idea of productivity tips. So these are things that I do to to be more productive. And I think that it will be helpful for anybody out there, not just people that are doing something similar to what I'm doing, because I think that we all are pressed for time these days. Perhaps it's an outgrowth of the economic factors or really just, you know, macro stuff that happened after the Industrial Revolution that sort of, you know, gave us less time to be reflective and don't have time for anything. So, and this is especially important for those of you that have to devote a lot of time to certain projects or anything that you want to do in your free time. Free time. Perhaps it's just about work. Maybe you feel like you have so much on your plate with work or you've got kids and how are you going to do all this stuff? So, this is a few tips for all of us, hopefully. I've had a uh, unique opportunity to really try to figure this out because there are so many things that, on a day-to-day -day basis that I have to do um, with just ministry stuff alone. I, I just can't do it all. So these are some of the tips that I, over the years, have had to come to. One of the first ones, and one of the most uh, helpful ones that I've found is... I got the idea originally from a book that was recommended to me by Sam Bolton called Getting Things Done. And this is a pretty famous book out there, and he goes through a, a number of things. But one of the things that he said that really the takeaway I took from it was talking about the psychological impact of not writing down the things that pop into your head about anything and and they need to be all collected in all one place not just oh here's the things when I think about something that I have to do at, at home and here's something I've got to remember to do at the office or over here's something I've got to remember to do for some project that I want to work on or here's a slight idea about how to change that project in some way all the things that pop into your head like that <clears throat> or you know I've got to remember to update this website or anything you you got to put them all down in one place and his reasoning was so important to me because it was what I had been experiencing. And he said that when your brain doesn't trust you to put all the stuff down in one place, and not just to put it all down in one place, but also to go back and to review it periodically, unless it knows that you're going to do that, you're going to have these just hundreds and hundreds of thing, things always just popping up in your brain. And it really results in this sort of tiredness or, or, or psychological um, problem, essentially, that you just feel constantly nerve-wracked or busy or you're, you, don't, you can't rest at all because you feel like you have all the stuff that you need to do and it just seems a lot bigger in your head than it probably is because it's just lots of little stuff most of the time.
And so that was a really good thing. I knew that was true. And I knew I had to sort, somehow figure out, and I'd always used you know, to-do list notes, and I'm always writing down thing, I'm, things. I'm looking at a big page of notes right now. Um, but the the thing is that I didn't trust myself to do the thing that's necessary for this to work. That is to always carry around a notepad and always be jotting these things down. Now, he had a lot of other things that you need to do after that and make next action lists and a whole lot of other stuff. But my main takeaway was this thing. And it's the, really the only thing I'm really absolutely doing from that book. Uh, you might find some, some help in, in other elements in that book. It's certainly a good book. Again, it's called Getting Things Done. But the, my problem was I couldn't trust myself to always carry around this notebook. It was just problematic. I tried to get small notebooks and this kind of thing. And I knew that it had to be on my phone because we all carry our phone everywhere we go. It's never going to not be with us almost ever. But the problem I had with that is that none of the note-taking apps out there, and I tried every free app that I, th I thought every free app, uh, and none of them were something that were working for me. I, there were several problems. Maybe, maybe I just it didn't list them well, or or some reason or another, it didn't end up functioning like I wanted it to, and therefore it wasn't that thing that I needed, which was a place to sort of collect all these random thoughts, and then I could just pick up my phone, you know, either say something into it, or text to speech kind of thing, or speech to text rather, or type it in. So here's the app that ended up working for me. It's called Evernote. A lot of you are like, uh, yeah, duh, Evernote. It is sort of the the thing out there. But I never knew about it, and I I heard heard it on this uh, program I listen to a lot of times for web design called Boag World. But they're really British, and so I didn't know what he, what it was. It was Evernote, Evernote, and so I didn't know what it was. But here it is, Evernote, and it's awesome. It's a free app. You can get it on um, you know any of the Google Play stores. I'm sure it's on i stuff, and. And it, what the unique thing about Evernote is not just that you can put all your stuff in there when you think of something like that. That's essentially what it is. You, you write a new note. But here's the issue. It synchronizes it automatically to all of your devices. So, you know, if I'm on my computer or something and I see email um, or whatever, some kind of thing, or if I'm reading something in a book or, or whatever on my, you know, uh, uh, Kindle or whatnot, I can highlight something and immediately send it to Evernote or type in something and it updates it now now my phone has that information on it <laughs> so when I scroll down I'm looking at at that and it sort of it syncs up my computer to my phone to any other device that I have so it's so so exactly what I needed to make sure I was collecting all the random ideas about stuff from there you can use Evernote to put it in separate notebooks like I have a little weekly to-do list notebook or you know maybe a certain project notebook for certain projects that I'm doing that I collect all those things and put them into separate sort of subfolders, but that's not even necessary. The main thing is just to put them all in one place, and Evernote is beautiful for that. Okay, the second productivity tip that I have is, and I'll link all this stuff in the show notes if you want to go to this episode of Nowhere to Run, which will be published on 9-13-2013. It is, uh, the second thing is to divide up the day's like in the book of Genesis. I've mentioned this one before, but it's so it was so revolutionary to me that uh, I will include it in this productivity tips. <laughs> so I was getting, there was a time about a year and a half, two years maybe ago, that um, I just, I, I was getting so burned out with all the emails and trying to answer all of them and 
um, all the other stuff that I had to do, it just it seemed like I was gonna just I don't know. It just was I was getting burned out from it all. And I went to my pastor at the time, um, Jerry McAnulty, Calvary Chapel River Rivergate, and he is just a real wise guy. And he said, and I knew he was a similar similar situation in that he was at one time sort of a workaholic in the ministry world and I knew that he was the guy to call about this particular issue and he said um, this is what you need to do and this is what all of the staff here at Calvary Rivergate does they basically divide up the days like in Genesis in Genesis like certain things were done on certain days you know on this day just the waters and this day you know just animal life and this day you know so on and so forth and the idea was that, so on this day, I just do uh, administration stuff. Like all my administration stuff is done on this day. Um, and in my case, I did I set aside two days to do emails. One of the things he said is, you know, every time the phone rings, you know, it, it's not God on the other line. And, you know, if somebody has a marriage problem on Monday, they're probably still going to have it on Wednesday. And you can just tell them, hey, I, I'll do all this stuff. You know, I actually do this stuff on Wednesdays. I'll talk to you then. It doesn't have to be done right there. And it was such a huge deal for me. And it ended up being like I would separate, like I only do certain project type stuff on, you know, certain days. And you'll have to come up with, if you want to do that, it's something that you'll have to sort of modify on your own, depending on your own situation. So I mentioned that because that one thing is something that I just really, really benefited from that advice. And I don't know why that works so well. Perhaps it's kind of like, um, you know, if you're cleaning a house, sometimes it's better to just clean one room at a time instead of like, okay, now I'll dust every room. Now I'll come and do, you know, this kind of stuff later or vacuum. And now, But if you complete one room to where you can close the door and say, that room's done, moving on to the next room, there's a certain, there's a certain something about that that kind of feels psychologically good. It's kind of like the... Uh, I mentioned before the Dave Ramsey debt snowball. Um, when you're taking the little debt and you, you eliminate it first, it gives you a psychological boost to then apply that money to the next one. Even though the larger uh, bill may be accruing interest more, he says that it is it is better for you to get the psychological boost for from eliminating small bills than it is to uh, worry about that interest on the larger bill. Anyways, so moving on to the third one, which is to pick your battles. This is something that I had to learn um, over time, and that is to, if you're on the internet at all, you've got to, first of all, decide. You can't get stuck into a, a wormhole on Facebook or YouTube or whatever when you're trying to do something else. This is one of the things that you could eliminate if you really, really had to, if you're in a situation where you've got, um, you know, three kids and you've got, you know, this, this important job and all these projects and you're trying to do other things like that, you cannot afford to go down a YouTube or Facebook wormhole. Your time has to be really devoted to, uh, whatever you're doing. So you need to spend the hour, two hours just doing that thing in the, uh, book that I read switch. It, it talked about how when they wrote the book, they actually had a computer modified to where it couldn't get on the Internet. Like, it, it, it just literally couldn't, no matter what they did. So they just had to write when they were on that computer. And that goes to show you how tempting it is, even in your best, you know, focused days. To, oh, I'll check Facebook real quick or I'll, you know, do whatever, check your email or what, at, what have you. 
you can't do that. And uh, I think that there's another productivity book called The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss where he is essentially very militant about checking, not checking emails, but like I think once a day or something like that. I can't remember what his situation is. I need to jump on that. If I, if, but I, what I'm trying to say, if I really needed to cut time, I would find a way to cut down on YouTube and Facebook wormholes and checking email. And that, and that when it gets serious, when you've got to do something, you've got to do something about that. I would also, sort of a side issue to that in Pick Your Battles is um, I cannot... I cannot get involved in fights on YouTube or Facebook. And sometimes it's really difficult for me not to because somebody says something that is obviously wrong or even worse, they're lying about something or, or whatever. And something that would be easy to, uh, to say something about. But one thing that I've learned about Facebook and YouTube fights and forum fights go the same way because it's in a public setting, you know, semi public, other people are watching what you're posting you cannot ever actually change your mind. It's kind of like in a public debate, if you went and saw a debate between two people, I would venture to say that never in the history of the world has a debater in a public setting said, you know, you're right, I repent of this situation, I was wrong, you're right, we can go ahead and end this debate. It's never happened. Even if the person heard some argument that really did completely destroy theirs, they had to, because of their public nature of it, essentially say, well, I don't know about that, but I'm still right. You know, had to say something to defend themselves, because pride is at work. And the same situation is that if you're trying to convince somebody about something, it's really difficult. Uh, and I, I, in my worst days, I can do it and I feel so bad about it because I don't have the time to get into what it now takes for me to do to defend my honor on Facebook. So I really try to just let people say this stuff. And I know it's bad. I know people are like, you know, why don't you deal with this stuff that somebody's saying something about it? The answer is that I can't. I do in a private setting. And I, I sometimes tell the people, there's a guy recently, I was like, I want to deal with this. I want to talk to you about it. But I know that you want to change my mind and I want to change your mind about this particular situation. And we've got enough barriers already. You know, you're in this particular religious group that I disagree with or whatever. So we've got enough problems trying to get this done. So what, let's try to do it in a, a private setting with the messaging situation and see if we can come to a conclusion uh, there. And so we have uh, we have decided to do that. And it's going to be a much more fruitful situation. And it has a potential to really uh, help people and minister to people. But that cannot be done in public fights on forums. So I just disregard the whole thing. There are certain situations. And, I, and it, I, I say it's good for people out there to do ministry with stuff to people. But you've got to try to default to the private message. Try to get the thing from the public to the private. I know that you may think you may be thinking, Chris, yes, but people are going to see this and they're going to be convinced by the argument and so on and so forth. That may be true. And there are really, really good reasons to do that. And a lot of those forum posts go on to be seen by a lot of people. So you're correct. Um, but if your goal to, is to minister to that person, then you need to get it to a private setting in order for it to be fr fruitful. Trust me, it's going to have to happen. And, of course, getting in a public setting, is, and the whole point I'm mentioning this, is that you're going to have to go back to that for days and days and days because it's going to go back and forth and back and forth. And now your life is about posting on this stupid forum uh, because and how many hours are wasted of you doing that because you have to defend your honor. So pick your battles, and I would suggest don't have your battles be in public forums. Okay. Um, define your goals is the next one. This one is one that I also recently picked up in a book and that I've really tried to apply. Um, 
one of the examples given in one of these books was Southwest Airlines. Southwest Airlines has a macro goal of we are the low-cost airline. And every decision that they make has to conform to that idea. So, you know, somebody comes into the boardroom or whatever, the, the CEO's office, and says some great thing about how, you know, all of these airlines are offering, you know, this kind of type of meal or, or whatever. And the response is, will adding that help us to be the low-cost uh, airline whatever? And the answer is no in that case. So the people underneath can easily make a decision answering that question. Will that help to make us the low, the low cost airline or whatever? And, um, you know, there's lots of different things like that. You can define what your goal is in a particular situation or project or ministry or whatever. And they might have three or four main sort of goals that have sub, sub, sub goals and stuff like that. But I encourage you to really think about what is it that you're trying to accomplish? What is it that you're trying to do with a particular project or ministry or whatever it is? And that will really help you make decisions, here's the key, of what not to do or what to outsource for somebody else to do, which is what we're going to talk about a little later. So once you know what your goal is and what you're trying to achieve, you're able to look at something and say, does this, does this help me achieve that goal? And if it doesn't, you can make a decision about what bet what's to do with that because I mean saying no to stuff is something I have to really uh, to do I mean there are so many websites that I maintain right now for people that I'm like oh I'll I'll, I'll work on that you know I'll do this they're like I don't know how many churches and stuff and you know I'm basically their webmaster for and at some point I've got to just say I I'm sorry I just can't take on any more stuff you know because I'm just I just don't have the time so so it helps me and I I want to do that stuff that's a part of you know a little ministry thing I guess I sort of do uh, and so I want to do it but there is a limit of things that I cannot say yes to because as the old saying goes if you're saying yes to something you're saying no to something else so you've got to define your goals what is it you're trying to accomplish and then determine what it is what it is that you're saying yes to and what it is that you're saying no to okay a few other things I want to mention here the there's a, one thing that's really helpful for people that manage a lot of WordPress sites. I know this isn't going to apply to many people, but it helps me a lot, so I'll, I'll mention it for those of you that it does apply to. I manage, you know, over, I don't know, I manage a whole lot of WordPress sites, and because of that, I have a lot of difficulty uh, keeping them all up to date, remembering all the logins, and so there is a service out there called ManageWP that's a subscription service that basically you can log into it and manage all of your WordPress sites. Uh, for example, I just logged in and am updating uh, 20 websites required a brand new WordPress framework. WordPress has just come out with an update in the last few days and all of them needed to be updated. That would have taken me, you know, a long time to update 20 WordPress uh, sites. And so I just hit it one button and they're all currently updating. So that's that's a pretty uh, big time saver there. That might not help everybody, but I encourage you, anybody that does have a lot of WordPress sites, manage WP. One other takeaway that I got from the four-hour work week from, by Tim Ferriss is to outsource when possible. When outsourcing can save you vast amounts of time uh, for minimal cost, it's worth it. His thesis in the four-hour work week is that the man with the most time wins. And... Uh, the person, if, if two people make exactly the same amount of money, but person B has a lot more free time than person A, then person B is more wealthy than person A because he has more time. 
and this case it's mostly about ministry and stuff that in the stuff that I'm doing and um, I've found that there are certain things for example the Christianity 101 DVDs that's just a lot of busy work for me and it takes me uh, an entire day to to you know burn them and to print them up and to put the stamps on them and do all the stuff that needs to be uh, done with the Christianity 101 DVDs an entire day that I could be doing something else with now I consider the Christianity 101 uh, DVD project to be the most one of the best things that I've ever done I have no idea where all these orders for these things are coming um, they're all free of course I mean I ship them to everywhere in the world I've probably shipped them to gosh I don't know I, I don't know how many countries but countries I've never even heard of and I don't know how many thousands I've sent out but it's just amazing it's it's eight gigabytes of audio and video and text and everything that I think uh, new Christians need for discipleship I feel like on the uh, just a little sidetrack I feel like that on that day when I see all the, the things the works that I did burnt up and those things that are remaining I have a sneaking suspicion that the Christianity 101 DVDs are going to be the things that are sitting there like well you did do this and that was good so but uh, <laughs> anyway so um, I recently outsourced all that. It just got too busy, too much for me to do. And so I found somebody who needed a ministry, would do it for a reasonable price. Uh, now makes my cost per DVD about $3 instead of $2, but it's a, it's worth it for me because, um, because I get a huge bonus of an entire day that's that I can spend on projects or, or whatever else I need to do. So it's something that I kind of had to do if I'm going to move to the next level in terms of produ productivity. Uh, so that was that's one example, but there are lots of things that I do like that, and I think that there are things that, that you can look at and say, this is something that's just busy work or something that somebody else can do. Maybe your spouse can do it, you know, for free or whatever, kind of bring them into a particular thing or something. Somehow your kids or somebody can do something that is eating up your time and will make you more productive, whether they'll do it for free or whether they, you have to spend a little bit of money in order to get it done. Um, a few other things. Mind maps. I've mentioned that recently. There's one called Simple Mind out there. It's an app for tablets and phones and that kind of thing. It might just be for Android, but I'm sure there's mind maps for iStuff as well. And I find that is a great way to sort of do outlines, and they do help me to be productive in that, which I've never been good at outlines, but I can do mind maps really good. And then finally, the last sort of program I'll mention is Streak for Gmail. Gmail has just come out. I don't know when they came out with it, honestly, but the first time I've found it, it's called Streak. And it's basically like a little uh, app you can add to Gmail. And what I use it for, it does a lot of things, but what I use it for is what's called snippets. So when I want to write an email and something that I have said a million times to somebody, um, but I don't want to write it all out, I can just pre-program these little uh, codes like... Um, you know, if I give it a signature for a particular type of signature or, you know, some kind of phrase or something that um, I normally just type out, I just type in a little one or two letter code thing that I've pre-figured uh, out and it just writes it out for me. That has saved me a lot of time as I write a lot of emails and that kind of thing. And even this podcast is kind of a way of saving time, but it doesn't really apply to anybody else. It's a way for me to answer a lot of questions. I, I looked back at all the audio responses I've done and I mean, I have done thousands and thousands of some like 10 minute, as much as 30 or 45 minute audio responses over the years. 
and they are just maybe not thousands and thousands but a whole whole lot and I looked at those and so many of those are answering the same question so a lot of this is to be able to point people to different shows and say here's this question answered right here and with that in mind let's go to question number two question number two is about Halloween it says is celebrating Halloween a sin or if not a sin exactly is it something a Christian shouldn't be doing or associated with he goes on to talk about uh, uh, you know that they watched the great pumpkin Charlie Brown and he says he asked this because some close, close Christian friends who are a very quote happy Reformation Day when Halloween comes around if you know what I mean I don't mind that they don't celebrate it but it just makes me feel like I'm not really a Christian following Christ or having anything to do with Halloween that makes sense he says now obviously I'm not sacrificing squirrels or praying to witches or anything like I guess everyone who celebrates Halloween are really supposed to be doing and I know people could take the holiday too far and there are Satanists whom it's a big deal and other cults etc etc and I've heard it said that even if you celebrate it in a good way like I describe myself as doing it's opening doors to Satan I'm sure you're seeing where I'm going he says, costume-wise, I'm sure Jesus doesn't want us to dress up as a devil or witches or zombies. That's really not a good representation of him. But his daughter is going to be wearing a, a ladybug costume this year, and I don't see how that is wrong. <clears throat> Can we be a light out in the world on that day with, uh, without being of the world? I'm not sure if turning our, all our lights off and leaving a sign in the door that says repent or, or go to hell is what Christ wants either. I have literally seen that. Is this a Romans 14 scenario? in regard to people like me and people who are happy Reformation Dayers. If I'm totally whacked in my view on this, feel free to be brutally honest. Okay, I'm going to offend people with this and I'm going to get a lot of letters from people about this. Um, so if you're writing one, just know that it's not going to be surprising to me to get it. And I think that the issue is uh, Romans 14, 1 Corinthians, uh, is it 1 Corinthians 10 that's basically a parallel to Romans 14 about Christian liberty. and and I think that the the angle there is sort of a presupposing that there's going to be a fight when it comes to liberty. Um, Paul says the man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables, um, where you may be convicted that you know you can eat uh, other things. That, you know, he's talking about the Old Testament law and different things like that. And he says, you know, a person with faith is weak is eating only vegetables. And I feel like that's the pattern that I had as a believer in my life. But I'm going to put a big caveat on this before I start anything and say, if you feel convicted about Christmas or Halloween or Easter or any of those things, and you feel that you shouldn't celebrate them, I would encourage you not to celebrate them. It may very well be that God is telling you not to celebrate them, and you ought to be obedient to that, period. Um, my opinion about that is is that all three of those holidays can be celebrated by Christians, and you're not going to, uh, you, you know, it is possible that you can celebrate those and not bring on yourself the wrath of God or open up doors to the devil or anything else like that. And I'll talk a little bit about uh, them in detail. I am fully aware of the problems with all of those things. I came from a place of being very militant about this. I was a hardliner about Christmas and Ishtar, Easter, and everything else that you could be about. I think a lot of us in the conspiracy Christian world start out that way. Um, and you'll probably tell me as I talk about Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 10, well, this doesn't apply to that because now you're talking about pagan holidays and Saturnalia is Christmas. And yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. I've heard a lot of that stuff. Um, but he, uh, I, I think that, that what I would say here, that the heart of Romans 14 is really speaking to 
the person um, who is not doing the things, you, you know, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Um, you know, he says it, it is good. It is also his idea is not to stumble somebody else with your liberty. I think that's another main uh, thing here. So he's speaking to both sides of the coin here. He's speaking to me and saying, Chris, you may feel at liberty to uh, go to Christmas parties and not and this kind of thing, but don't force your liberty on you guys. For me, not to say, look, you guys need to go to Christmas parties. It's just about. You know, Jesus and the whole Jeremiah Christmas tree thing isn't even true. And most people that say that know that. But I can go on to some detail about that in a minute. I think it's a, you know, I've said before, I think it's the only time in the whole year that this pagan world that we lives on, live live in actually considers Jesus Christ. It's the only time in, on, in the year that your family members will listen to a you talk about who that day is all about. It's the only time in the year that on the mainstream radio they're playing worship music uh joy to the world the king is come let earth receive her king you know we could go on a lot of this stuff is just straight worship music it's a good thing uh to have a day about jesus even if that was meant for evil ultimately god has meant it for good sure it's all you know we could talk about all kinds of stuff or whatever but people get saved and people uh come to an understanding or more understanding about jesus christ on that day and i could talk about length about it but it's not my goal to convince you of that and another show I've mentioned about how a person severely convicted uh, to not celebrate Christmas in his life he is trying to minister to Jehovah's Witnesses and for him not celebrating Christmas is actually one of these things that kind of like Paul and Timothy and Titus he has one of them circumcised but not the other circumcised so that they can minister better to their respective groups the Jews wouldn't listen to him if he wasn't circumcised so he had him circumcised um, and even though Paul at length is the same guy that says circumcision profits nothing. I mean, it, you know, this is this is the same guy who says it's not an important part of anything, but I'm going to do it just so this guy can minister to these people. So, but in that scenario, the, he's also speaking to the people who have the conviction not to do it, uh, or, or the conviction to do it. In this case, not to celebrate Christmas or whatever Halloween, and say to you guys, don't go around stomping around making your making it a bad name just because you feel convicted about it. He's talking to both sides and saying, on these issues of Christian liberty, you need if you're convicted about it, you need to not do it uh, to yourself and don't make a big deal about it. Don't try to convince everybody else that they also need to have liberty and they don't and, and you know all this other stuff. Now the the catch here is that a person will say, well, this isn't a Christian liberty issue. This is not this is not a non liberty issue like one of those things. This is a different thing. Celebrating Halloween, for instance, we just need to whole cloth have nothing to do with it. And again, if that's your conviction about that, that this isn't a Christian liberty issue, that you can't wear a ladybug costume and, and send your kids out to get candy without opening a door to the devil, then you need to not do it. Uh, it is my conviction for several reasons that that's not what's going to happen, that you're not going to invoke the wrath of God by doing that, or you're not going to um, you know, open a door for Satan. There's no, there's no way that I can think of that you would open a door for Satan by doing that uh, in terms of a demonological reason. Um, I suppose there's a, a scenario where you believed it was a total sin to do this and you you were doing it to sin. If that's your heart in doing it, I suppose it could be a problem. But I do, I do walk a little lightly with the Halloween thing because it is so... Um, 
it is such a dark day and there's lots of uh, evil, really evil being done that day. And as the world gets even more pagan, they're even doing more evil things and evil rituals and this kind of stuff. And that's the thing that makes Halloween a dangerous time is because of all of that stuff. All the stuff that, not, not the stuff that you're doing necessarily, but all the stuff the world is doing on that day. And so that is, that's the problematic part about Halloween, in my opinion. Um, I, um, I don't know. I guess I kind of err on the side of minimizing Halloween as much as humanly possible. Um, I would be open and honest with my kids about it. I would talk to them about why we minimize it and why, why they might see certain things and, and just being, uh, you know, really open about that and let them be informed about why you're doing it differently. Uh, or in the case of not doing it at all, let them be informed about why you're not doing it at all. But I wouldn't be, I wouldn't bring that sort of conviction of not celebrating Halloween or minimizing Halloween to a great extent to everybody else and forcing other Christian, oh, brother, you need not do that or you're really not saved. Even if it was a sanctification issue, it may be that over the time and your growth in the Lord that you begin to less and less think that Halloween is a good idea. And uh, in that case, you know, like, it's kind of like me early on in my salvation. There was a lot of things that I was still doing that God was working on me about. I didn't even really know about whether or not to do it or not. Uh, and he was telling me to do it or not to do it. But somebody could have come up to me right then and told me, for example, about baptism, which is another question that I've been asked here. Um, I may have a time to answer it real quick. They could say, Chris, you, you, you haven't been baptized yet, and I'd been saved about a year, and they could have said, Chris, you need to be baptized to be saved. Look at this verse and this verse and this verse. And I would say, oh, man, so I'm not really even saved? That's crazy, because my life is changing, and I really, really love Jesus Christ, and I feel saved. But Jesus is the guy who told me, you know, started putting it on my heart, like, hey, uh, you need to get baptized now. It's time for you to go ahead and do that. And so I did it, essentially, I would say on my own, but not really on my own. But somebody could have really put a yoke on my and it confused me all kinds of theologically. If they would have told me that I wasn't saved for that year, uh, I would have not understood anything about anything if I hadn't been saved for that year. And I think those verses in the Bible are essentially talking about that. What, what I think people miss with some of those verses that make it sound like salvation and baptism are intertwined is the same scenario that it was with circumcision. It's because the New Testament writers are equating baptism with circumcision as a sign, an interest sign to the New Covenant. It is one of the new signs in the covenant. I talk about that at length in the book uh, "Should Christians" or book and uh, 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 video "Should Christians Keep the Sabbath." And the idea is that it speaks of it like that, in the same way it speaks of circumcision. But even interbiblically, you can find that circumcision was not a necessary part of salvation. In fact, there's several verses that say circumcision. I'd rather you know uncircumcised or circumcised. You want to be circumcised in your heart. He talks about that at length. You can find. But at the same time, just like circumcision, baptism is an outward sign uh, to show that you are in the covenant. It's something that is that we're commanded to do as a sign in the sense of baptism, no longer circumcision, because that's part of a different sign for a different covenant. But baptism is a, something that we are commanded to do, and that a true Christian will be baptized. It is a something that they will do. So anyway, that's two for one answering that question. It was one that I was going to do, but I'm not going to have time to do it anyway. But um, so very quick answer to that. Back to the Halloween thing. Basically, it is, as uh, as he said, it's a Romans 14 issue in my mind. Uh, I err on the side of Halloween of minimizing it as much as possible. I don't think that we should go all out and have just, uh, you know, certainly not 
Uh, and I, I would also put a big caveat and say it's a dangerous time for your kids to be out there because of all the Satanism and stuff. As that grows and the world gets darker and more doors are open, the stuff that they're doing, it's dangerous. But I think that there are scenarios where Halloween can be enjoyed as a family kind of thing. But at the same time, I do think it is uh, uh, physically a bit more dangerous than than any than certainly Christmas or anything else like that. And it is uh, it, it it's it's something that needs to be explained very well if you are going to do it. In my opinion, but no, I don't think it's a, a you need to be a teetotaler with uh, a Halloween. That's my opinion. But there's some of you to wrap this all up that teetotaling with Halloween is the way to go. And like I said, I'm going to get a million uh, emails uh, about this. But I would just just say to people before you send the emails is to read your Romans 14s and and 1 Corinthians 10 and and read how it's talking to you about your convictions and it's talking to me about my convictions of liberty and you're about your convictions of, uh, of, of, of not liberty in this particular scenario. And even if you think that this issue doesn't apply, it still has wisdom for you in your attitude and bringing about those things that you are convicted about, those things that the Bible is not expressly talking about. And we could say, you know, well, we didn't, I don't know, I could go on at length about what the the things that people will say about it, but um, but anyway, so that's that. If you're convicted about it, good, please don't do it. Uh, be obedient to that conviction. If you're not, if you are not, then uh, just be smart about it. Okay, moving on to question number three. Question number three is about Syria, and the question is, what do I think about it, and does it have anything to do with Bible prophecy at all? And my answer to that is going to be kind of a light answer on what I think about it. I think there are a lot of people out there that could probably answer that better and more authoritatively in terms of you know, why we are in there or why we want to go in there and, and what's it all really about and all these types of geopolitical things. And that's really not my area of expertise. I could talk certainly at length about the idea that I don't think that it's a good idea to go into Syria. And I am pleased with the idea that the world seems to uh, be on board this time with this kind of thing. But it also seems to me that there is a pretty big push to to do it with um, whatever this war machine is that will pretty much have its way at the end of the day one way or another. Whether it's Syria or the next target, it will just happen, probably, uh, just the way things are going. So if and when that happens, will this Arab Spring thing, does all this stuff in the uprising in the Middle East have anything to do with Bible prophecy? And on one sense, on one hand, I would say no, I, I don't see it as being related to Bible prophecy, even though I think that Daniel eleven thirty six through 45 when it describes the geopolitical rise of the Antichrist, which I've discussed in a podcast uh, recently on Bible Prophecy Talk, went through a lot of the details of what he'll do, you know, the places he's going to conquer, which are, you know, Egypt, Libya, um, Ethiopia. It talks about all these different things that he's going to, to uh, you know, the king of the north, which is basically basically the, the Syria world. So all these places that we've recently conquered, or in a sense, Egypt and Libya. Ethiopia is actually sort of the land sort of south of Egypt in a sense, but uh, you could figure out where exactly that is. But And Syria are really a big part of this Arab Spring thing. So I know that there are teachers and preachers out there that 
that are probably making a big deal about this. And I, in one hand, I think that's a good thing. I can't believe that we don't all talk about Daniel eleven thirty six through 45 when we talk about what we should be looking at in Bible prophecy. We need to be looking at stuff happening in Egypt, Libya, and Syria, as well as Ethiopia, Edom, Moab, and, and, the, and Ammon. We need to understand about that stuff if we're going to really figure this out. But at the same time, what I'm seeing happen doesn't really fit the context of what is supposed to be happening in these verses. Like, the players are all there, but none of the stuff is happening. You know? And and so, like, for example, this is an unambiguous guy that's doing all this. And it's a complete conquest of them. It's a no-brainer. These guys, when he goes out and he utterly destroys them. And it's it's focusing on one person. And not just one nation. It's one person for lots of reasons. You look at Revelation 13 at this, and the the chorus of the world is, who is like this? Who can make war with the beast? They they understand him as a, a warlord. Daniel describes him as a person who honors a god of fortresses. It's, it's his bag is this war thing. And he's a conqueror. And these nations that he's conquering are, uh, well, Arab nations, which is a direct res- reverse of what most people talk about in Bible prophecy. But that's really not important right now. The important thing is, is that that that's not what's happening with this Arab Spring thing or the Syria thing or whatever else. Um, it just doesn't seem to fit the context of it, but it does seem like the players are there. And I also would say that, you know, this thing ends in Daniel eleven forty five with a he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. So he's going to set up his headquarters. That word, the tents of his palace, is a very interesting word. Uh, and I would submit to you, it is talking about his, I mean, most people obviously consider this to be his headquarters, but even if you look into the details of the Greek, or rather the Hebrew, it is pretty interesting what he does when he concludes this war game, these wars with a setting up HQ in Jerusalem. So, um, so yeah, this is just not what we're seeing here. And what I interpret this as is somebody that is trying to fulfill the prophecies of uh, the Messiah. I was talking about, talking with this with Tim and, and some of the other guys at the wedding today, and it kind of really hit me. One of the angles of the Antichrist and his, his deception is that he's going to have a very strong biblical case to blaspheme Jesus Christ to the Jewish people and the rest of the world when he says, look, you know, you've got all these prophecies of the Messiah. You know how we Christians always talk about 300 prophecies of the Messiah that Jesus fulfilled. Yeah, well, there's probably a good hundred or so more that Jesus didn't fulfill, probably even more than that. The ones that the Jewish people really are hanging on to are all the ones that Jesus didn't fulfill yet. And so he's going to be able to point and quote scripture like nobody's business and say, look, this is what the Bible says the Messiah would do. Did Jesus do that? No. Did I do that? Yes. He's going to have a real strong case in saying, look, this is what the Messiah does. Jesus says, hey, look, you know, you didn't uh, accept me, but there will be one that comes in his own name and him you will accept. So I think that uh, that we're not looking at that. We're not looking at a temple being rebuilt here anytime soon. You know, I know we're always talking about, well, they were right, they could rebuild it at any moment. And I do think that. And I think that they could even, to fulfill scripture, they don't only have to make a tent with the Holy of Holies in it. They don't even have to make a temple. But so my point is, is that 
that it, the, the flavor of what's being talked about when he he utterly destroys these these kings you know uh like a whirlwind you know he's going to overwhelm them it's going to be a complete destruction of them uh he says therefore he should go out with great fear to destroy and annihilate uh many so the point is is that the arab spring thing it's the right players but it's not the right situation it could be that something funny, some funny business is going to happen. Maybe this is a part of some of the stuff the Antichrist says, you know, that will bolster his case. But my point is, is that when he really shows up, he's going to really fight these wars in these places, and it's not going to be an ambiguous sort of this over, you know, these people overthrow their government. Even if you know behind the scenes, you know, it's probably this group or that group that's really pulling the strings for their own purposes or whatever. This isn't a secret thing. This is a this guy makes a great great effort to be getting the credit for these wars and the destruction and the annihilation of these Arab countries. So, so no, I don't see the Syria thing as we currently understand it as being in any way a part of Bible prophecy. And um, that is my thoughts about that. I want to thank you all for listening to the show. I want to remind you of a few things. I want to remind you of the sleep paralysis helper. If you are interested in helping with that, uh, to be a, a, the head of that ministry or to help with the book writing or both, I, I uh, encourage you to write me. I would encourage you to uh, check out the links that I had about the gluten-free situation and all that stuff, uh, the Lisa Chan videos. And also remember, we talked about productivity tips and all those links will be in the show notes as well as talked about the Halloween and Christmas as well as baptism not being necessary for salvation i want to thank you uh if you want to hear more i'll probably try to put out a podcast today at bible prophecy talk where we'll have just put out an excellent uh, the excellent two-part series the next part about charles cooper's faith for the final so that's going on and i'll also try to put out another uh actual podcast in the next few days if not today thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon bye-bye thanks for listening if you would like a free copy of the christianity 101 dvd which contains 8 gigabytes of audio, video, and text of various discipleship materials on a data DVD, please go to any one of my websites and look for the Christianity 101 button. It's totally free, and I'll ship it to you wherever you are in the world. If you would like to support this ministry or any of the others that I do, please consider a tax-deductible donation, which can be sent by PayPal using the email chris at chriswhiteministries.com or by clicking the PayPal button on any one of my websites. Another great way to support this ministry is by writing a review of the podcast on iTunes or writing a review of my books on Amazon. Reviews figure very prominently into the ranking algorithms of both of those websites, and the higher they rank, the more people that can be reached. Thanks for your time and for subscribing to this feed. 